0: Back in
3: towards Brackard! And that is an absolute gem of a goal! George Weyer on the prowl! Bang!
0: Di Matteo to
2: Signore! Fabulous strike! And here's an opportunity, Zola, lovely dummy! Oh, what a goal for Palmer.
0: And here's Victor. Rabinelli again. This is Deja and it's two. Now you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly? Yes or no? Yes.
3: Hello and welcome back to Quickly Kevin Will He Score, I'm Chris Gold. joining me Josh Whittakam. Hello. and these are special, now that's what I call Quickly Kevin episodes, and here hoarding a load of Manchester United season reviews for the apocalypse, it's Michael Martin. Hello. What do you plan to do with all your season reviews? That's actually HQ? true, I've got all those in Yeah, do you even have a video player
4: in there? No, I've converted them all to QuickTime movies, one, one day I'm going to watch through them all because I think there's probably some great I'm going to content say it, Michael.
5: If that's not in the next few weeks, you're never going to watch them. (laughs) (laughs) Did you
3: ever...
4: Bit busy!
5: (laughs) Did you ever have one season review you always watched as a kid? I'm sure we must have talked about this, but I had a tape called uh, Liverpool Team of the Decade, right? which uh, was about... just followed Liverpool throughout the 80s. I think... I remember it started with, like, a... um, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. you know when you get like yeah yeah it like started with um, goals from the eighties like, McDermott that kind of thing <laughs> yeah interspersed with emotional music and then like a man on a ferry on the Mersey <laughs> like footage of a man pulling into Liverpool on a ferry oh nice
3: but what well, I don't understand the analogy what they go well no it was there.
5: just like you're arriving I know, no no the- no it was more like just um, nice shots of the city and that kind of... like what a place that kind of <laughs> yeah, feeling yeah, of. Yeah. This really is a special place.
4: I I had one which was um, you had to save up and get vouchers from Smith's Crisps and send off to get it It as one of those kind of mail order things. And it was Brian Robson narrating classic moments from the World Cup. But he was so bad and so stilted. But it was the first instance when I had sort of seen like world football, like the sort of history of football. So that famous moment when the player runs out and, Kicks the ball away from the free kick during oh, yeah, the World yeah, Cup, yeah. and um, when the goalkeeper like pole actors, him the guy comes out. Oh, Kald like, Schumacher, yeah, yeah, Schumacher, and I was just in awe. It was like this whole world being opened up to me. It was incredible. I was obsessed
3: with West Ham 92-93 uh, which was uh, we missed the inaugural season of the Premier League. We got promoted directly after. And there's a bit in it where Trevor Morley, our star striker, scores a goal, but in scoring, he heads it into like a like a melee of boots, gets booted in the face, and the commentator goes, "Trevor Morley's scored." and he kind of sits up and he goes and what a goal and yeah, the blood's emerging now from his mouth <laughs> <laughs> similar to Bram Stoker's Dracula which is in the cinemas this week
4: wow. and I don't wow. know, it
3: stuck with me it sticks with me my whole life of even now I'm like was there like some sort of thing here to promote Bram Stoker's Dracula <laughs> <laughs> why weird, the, um,
5: do you know we've never talked about this as well I'm oh, to keep uh, the no catchphrase and I remember this from a World Cup 90 sticker album, but it had, like, the Orbis the one. Orbis the Orbis one, yeah. So, uh, I think it was Brazil qualified. That I might got this slightly wrong, but the gist of it is in their final qualifier, they had to beat Chile. Yeah, so it would have been in 1989, but for the 1990 World Cup. Chile were losing, and then a flare got thrown out of the uh, audience, out of the crowd, <laughs> and um, hit the Chile goalie who went down yeah he was called something like Roberto Ruiz or something right and he went down and he was covered in blood and they abandoned the match they tried to abandon the match or something right and then he got found to have burst up. it was a plan and he'd what? either burst a blood capsule or he'd cut himself or something and the plan was if they were losing to get the game abandoned by someone throwing on a flare and hitting him or he saw his chance or whatever I can't yeah, remember yeah. That's insane. What? That's, yeah. How is that not it. more that's,
4: famous? That's do I remember this so, fight. So, so do you think the person who threw the flare was in on it, or do you think he well, just, just sort of thought? I presume
5: so because you're not going to get that opportunity otherwise.
3: But, really, but who
4: he? has he got? A sort of NFL quarterback in this? Like <laughs> who, who, it who's was Tequan <laughs> Uh
3: The uh... <laughs> you'd have to you'd have to turn and face it and like
4: maneuver yourself to hit the flare, wouldn't you? Yeah.
5: On but I head. think if the play's up the other end and the flare goes onto the pitch in the area.
4: Oh, uh, so you think? Obviously, in, back then there weren't the volume of cameras. No, I don't you think you've of...
5: seen. I don't think there's footage of the hit or anything. Yeah, um, but why didn't um, they just love, I'm off?
4: sure. You, I mean, rather than do I remember this right? I'm sure we could read the story. But... Yeah. Do you know what? Just speaking of do I remember this right? I missed the jingles. I don't have to make any more jingles anymore. Why like, is that? Because we've. Well, we just. I think we've either exhausted all of the topics, to just,
3: but we just need to get more. When we when we spot. Right, bit, when we spot jingles,
4: now now is the time to.
5: Yeah, yeah. I've got the time to make yeah, new jingles. Well, that is a Do I Remember This Right? So let's have the jingle for old time's sake.
4: Do I remember this right? Do I remember this right? Do I remember this right? Do I remember, Do I remember, this, remember this right?
5: Do I remember this right? Right. Right. Hi, guys. Listening to the most recent podcast. The question, This is a long time ago. The question of whatever happened to Peter Fear came up. Um... We need a jingle for whatever happened to Peter Fear. <laughs> oh God!
4: What are, what are done? <laughs> what what's, uh,
3: what's the soundtrack to Cape Fear?
5: Can help out on what happened to Peter Fear. He's been a contestant on Popmaster on the Ken Bruce Show on Radio 2. Oh, wow. What? A couple of times in recent years. And when having his usual pre quiz chat with Ken, confirmed he's now a London cabbie. <laughs> From what I recall, his score on Popmaster wasn't particularly impressive. Keep up the good work, George. Mm.
3: Well, if you've got any more insight into the life of Peter Fear, please contribute to our brand new
4: item Whatever Happened to Peter Fear? <laughs> Where goes the fear? Is that? <laughs> Here goes the fear. Technically, that also qualifies for uh, the Phil Thompson directory. So, uh... <laughs> it does! It does. <laughs> let's have a go. little. Let's have a little medley. For the local answer, ask Phil
5: Thompson. Hi, guys. Regretfully, I've only just discovered your glorious podcast, and I've been binging on it for the last few weeks. I thought I'd bring to your attention my hometown team of Margate FC. In the mid to late 90s, Margate were briefly sponsored by the Scar legend Bad Manners, whose singer Buster Blood Vessel owned a hotel in the town called Fatty Towers, <laughs> which, if I remember this right, used to weigh guests at check-in and turn them away if they were too thin. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be nonsense. That can't, that can't be, be true. true. <laughs> you can see the shirt in use during Margate's 1997 FA Cup tie against Kevin Keegan's Fulham. For a nice bit of symmetry... Margate are now sponsored by, Chris? The Libertines? Correct. Really? Who are just about to open their own hotel-com studio on Margate Seafront. But as far as I'm aware, there are no weight restrictions for the upcoming Albion Rooms. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Callum Bottle. Wow. So there we go. blood vessel. If you've got any more sponsors, this is how you get in touch. Get in touch with the show.
1: Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com.
4: Okay, it's time now for part four of our lockdown specials featuring some of our favourite guests from the last five series. First up, Mark Lawrenson discusses the enigma wrapped inside a riddle that is David Batty, and then his time as a coach under Kevin Keegan at Newcastle. Welcome to Quickly Kevin, Mark Lawrenson.
1: Quickly Kevin, what's that? Uh, (laughs) What's that?
5: Well, wow, uh, that comes from Quickly Kevin, will he score? Which is a piece of commentary. Right. Are you familiar with it? No. It's when uh, David no. Batty stepped up to take his penalty in 1998. And missed. A missed. But just before, Brian Moore turned to Kevin Keegan and said, Quickly Kevin, will he score? And he said, yeah. 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 He got- <laughs> Oh, we did this, and then we'd add Jim Rosenthal on the show, and he said, yeah, that actually tormented Brian Moore. But it's too <laughs> late now,
1: we've changed yeah. and and we're, the title. What a great commentator. Do you, do you know David Batty, I think, apart from when he went back to Leeds as a guest with his kids, I think he's got twins, doesn't watch any football. Yeah, well, we've heard Absolutely, <laughs> does not watch football. This and he is... always... I was at Newcastle on the uh, defensive coach with yeah. Kevin as well, Terry Mack and that, and he always said, not interested. Just didn't like it. No, and... He was the only one who was allowed to live X amount of miles away from, from Newcastle. Because Kevin just said he'll be absolutely fine. He was never, ever late for training, but he was first away.
3: David Batty comes up time and again on this podcast. People say he's a man of mystery, that he used to get paid cash when he was a footballer, <laughs> that he's
1: off the grid now. He was just, it was great though. He was, was just such a really, really good lad, good trainer, good player. It, it was a, you know what, when I, when I coached him, he was a better player than I realised really yeah I just thought he was a bit of an assassin at first but he was, he was yeah. much better than that much better
3: was he quite emotionless we heard that after France emotionless?
1: 98 emotionless yeah Nice well, he's from Yorkshire <laughs> what do you expect France 98
3: when he missed the penalty apparently the team got back to the dressing room Batty had had a shower and had his
1: suit on oh, and Beckham I, was still in tears he probably said what's all the fuss <laughs> <laughs> our bats wouldn't be bothered yeah. and when I was at Sky I went to interview Keith Gillespie yeah and obviously it was Kevin Keegan, Terry Mack, they were up there. And I did this interview, came back, put all the stuff together and did the, the, the Saturday programme. But before we went on air, I got this, oh, there's a phone call for you, Terry McDermott. I'm thinking, they don't like something that obviously we're going to do. And he, he wants to pull the Keith Gillespie interview. And I like, Terry Mack, expecting me. And he went, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, nothing, why? He said, oh, Kevin wants to speak to you. And I said, what about? He said, "He just come up, he wants to speak to you. So I said, OK. He said, we'll fly you up, fly you back. And the tomorrow was Newcastle 5, Manchester United 0. Oh, yeah, okay. when Philip Albao scored that chip. But, yeah. And um, before the game, I'd go see Kevin. I sort of, obviously, yeah. semi-numerated and everything. he said, fancy job? De- defensive coach. And I went... Pfft. I'm not sure. And I said, I don't mean that rudely. Like, I've just started you know this media gig and yeah. I'm getting like, a few jobs and everything. He went, you can still do some of that. So said, but you'll have to move up. I'll let you still do the games and all that kind of thing. Obviously when Newcastle weren't playing. And so rang him the next day and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. And what did the job of defensive coach Nothing. I did absolutely nothing. <laughs> Honestly, I did absolutely nothing. But my CV looks great because we finished. We finished. Second, yeah. we've got in the Champions League, looks yeah. great. Let me see, but what I happened was second isn't the thing that people remember about that season. No, 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 no it wasn't that season, oh, it, it, season wasn't, or... it wasn't when they blew it. Oh, but, it was the season after. And, and by the way, they blamed Espria, but nobody in the club blamed Espria, it was nothing to do with him in oh, all really? fairness. No, yeah, he was, he was unlucky. It was they, just, they basically lost a lot of confidence and stopped playing,
5: yeah. But
1: when they played and everyone bombed on, they were such a good, such a good side. So Kevin said to me, three months, just have a look. Train with us and all that kind of take, you know, warm up and take a bit do a bit of coaching, but nothing defensively. You what? For so a what defensive did, coach. Yeah, yeah, on, so, nothing. Nothing. So what did
4: you do? With I just talk? I
1: trained every day. I was yeah. the first pick of the staff when they had a 5 side and everything. <laughs> I've, I've got myself fit and all that. know anyway, anyway, so after about three months I said to Kevin, look, I said, I'm earning money under false pretenses. He said, No, you're not. Absolutely not. He said, I'm more concerned about the movement going forward and everything. And I went, right. He says, but what do you think anyway? I said, well, you've got the same defensive players that you've had for a few years and we need some new ones and and stuff like that. And um, he said, yeah, yeah, okay, I get that, I get that. And then the next thing is, they wanted to go public, didn't they? They had a share issue. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. And Kevin got the hump because this guy came in to kind of do the transition from a football club to a public limited company and all those kind of things and float themselves on the stock market. They offered him a new contract because it would look good for the shareholders. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. he was like a messiah up there. And he kind of fell out with them. In the end, Kevin, Kevin just went, I've gone. And Arthur Cox was that still there, Arthur Cox was his like shoulder to cry on and all yeah. that. Cox was that like, real proper football man. And on the on the Monday morning after the news, Cox went, Right, you can do your job that you're here to do. And I, that was the first session that I took. Really? Yeah,
4: really? Yeah. Next up, referee Dermot Gallagher talks us through some of his more memorable moments on and off the pitch.
3: Um, so we normally ask non-footballing guests uh, a setting question or two. Have you ever met a 90s footballer? I mean, that's redundant for you. <laughs> is there any 90s footballers that stick out for you?
0: Uh, Zinedine Zidane. Really? He's just the greatest player I've ever refereed.
3: Well, you refing riff- on the pitch with him? Three times. Really? Couldn't, you couldn't
0: believe it. They played for Juventus in a game I refed in the Champions League and uh, Del Piero got the ball and smashed it across the field and I thought, good luck with that. <laughs> and He just took it out the air on his foot and passed it to Antonio Conte and I just went, wow.
5: <laughs> How much can you appreciate the game when you're refereeing? Do you ever think, you know, a player gets the ball, do you ever think, go on, have a pop from there or are you too focused on refereeing?
0: The more relaxed the game is, in so much as the players are just playing, you don't have to get involved, you've got more time to watch the build-up, the talent and everything. But obviously if you have a really feisty game, it's a lot more difficult. Were you on the pitch for an amazing goal? Uh, loads of them. Yeah. Um, and
3: do you go, well done, that was amazing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was on the pitch for an amazing goal when I was I was put on the line in the Toulon tournament when I was a referee. And I'm thinking, why did they put me on the line? And I realised how difficult it was. And it was Brazil and South Africa under 21s and a Brazilian player to ball from about 40 yards. And there was a Brazilian player about... A rizzle of paper offside, and as soon as he hit it, I put my flag up for offside, and it whizzed in and out. I went, "Oh, what have I done?"
3: say <laughs> it, anything
5: to you?
0: Oh, it was at that point that I realised, you know, stick to ref and. Done. <laughs>
5: <laughs> What's easier, refing or assistant refing, as
0: they call it? I, I just think for an assistant, there's two things that I just couldn't stick: that to try and give offside is so difficult. You're looking all over the place. You're looking down the line for where the ball come from. I just don't know how they do it. And the second thing, with a ref, if somebody abuses me in the corner, 10 seconds later, it can be up the other end of the field. But as a linesman, you're stuck there for 90 minutes. <laughs> you just got to put up with them.
3: And if you make a bad call, I suppose, and you're in front of the home fans, you oh. like you're, you could be getting it for like 44 gotta minutes. you just got to do that
0: side-stepping, oh. trotting up and down. Well, I remember being linesman in my formative years at Millwall at the Old Den. And um, the, the referee said we'll put you on the right wing in the first half and the left wing in the second half so what you actually do you cross the field and, and at half time I'd gone in and during the game I could hear this noise and all these people running and I thought what are they doing and they kept running and they kept spitting all over the back of my shirt oh my God. and I've got in at half time I was covered in spit and I said to the you've got all this to look forward to in the second half and the ref said there's no point in both of you getting dirty." it he said stop where you are <laughs> so are all all
5: want to be referees
0: no no do you Men- have to say that I think a lot of linesmen are like um, coaches in football. Yeah. You know, there's coaches who are brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. But they don't want to be a manager because yeah. they don't want that, not responsibility, but they don't want to take that step. And I think there's a lot of people now that want to be linesmen. I mean, now that you can choose whether you want to be a linesman or a referee at the highest level. Yeah. And people say, well, I want to be a linesman. And that's their niche. They like it. I mean, I know a guy who's absolute brilliant linesman. Absolute brilliant. One of the best in the world. But I wouldn't want to run the line to him. I wouldn't want him to be a referee because yeah. he'd just get involved with the player and he lose his temper and then his composure's gone. Whereas on the line, he doesn't have that problem. Yeah.
5: Has a ref ever lost or linesman ever lost their temper when you've been officiating <laughs> with them? Is a smile. There. A few pl- few players <laughs> have lost their temper. <laughs> <when> that, <laughs> <that> players, obviously. <laughs> but when you get back in, so when you get back in at half time, are any of you ever going? Oh, for that fucking strike yeah, is absolute. Oh,
0: I've, I've gone in at full time sometimes and set a what are you doing to me? You know, you know, I had enough problems with the players without you getting involved. But, oh, really? But it happens, isn't it? Because you know they see things different on the line, and and I had the other alternative. I, the worst decision I ever made in my life. I I learned so much from it. I was was in West Brom and Villa, and Mark Delaney. That's already
5: a taste. Oh,
0: absolutely, full house. You know, twenty-eight thousand people there. And Mark Delaney coming into the penalty area luckily Dion Dublin was playing for Villa. who was a really nice guy and got me out of jail and Mark Delaney—he's leaning forward and I thought he's going to hit the ground here yeah. and it was the only time in my life that I'd ever made a decision before it happened and I learned so oh, much God. from it I thought he's going to hit the ground here and he did and as soon as he hit the ground I gave it the biggest cut the grass you've ever seen and goal kick right. and what I didn't allow for is Phil Gilchrist took him off at the knees that's why he hit oh, the ground God. and Dion Dublin God bless him he just went you didn't fancy that one pal? <laughs> <laughs>
5: That sounds like something to say on Holmes Under the Hammer.
0: And I went, Do you think it was a penalty? He went, I do actually. He said, But I oh, know you don't. He says, So believe we'll it. You said to him, Do you think it was a penalty? Yeah. And he went, <laughs> He said, no, I do actually, but you don't. So believe we'll it. And I went in at half time and said to the linesman, Do you think it was a penalty? He says, Most blatant penalty I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I went, Well, you not nothing to flag and get me out of jail. <laughs> he said, You give it the biggest no in the world. He said, What could I say to convince you different? Because you always presume that it's like
5: the three of you are such a
3: tight yeah, like, team. You wouldn't I would not there imagine there's a division. Even you saying well, no, this no, is surprising to me.
0: No, it wasn't a division. It's the fact that I was so adamant it wasn't a penalty. He's got yeah. nowhere to go. Yeah. He yeah. could never change my mind, could he? Oh, uh, Because he looked so insistent. And, and what I'd done, I, I learnt two things. Never make a decision before it's happened because mm. I thought he's going to dive. Yeah. And never close your options because that boy, when I give a goal kick, he could have flagged and said penalty and I could have got it right. But yeah. Yeah.
4: And finally, comedian James Acaster talks us through his relationship with football and why it ended at the turn of the millennium. You are, excitingly, our first ever guest
5: that doesn't really like football.
2: Yeah, a privilege and a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Exciting.
5: Obviously, uh, never listened.
2: Yeah, everyone now throwing their phones on the floor (laughs) who doesn't like football. So what's your relationship with football? Uh, I liked it as a kid. Yeah. really liked it as a kid in the 90s which uh, this podcast about in the 90s which is like yeah where your heart still resides yeah. uh, and uh, my dad was a Manchester United supporter so I copied him and yeah. did the same we lived in Kettering uh, he grew up in uh, Aylesbury he has gone nowhere near Manchester from... <laughs> <laughs> none of his you know, he didn't go to uni there no like, nothing not, but is like, there a reason uh, it annoyed his dad to do it. <laughs> uh, his, his dad, my granddad, was a Newcastle United fan, uh, having grown yeah. up there his whole life, um, and my dad just kind of supported Manchester United because at the time it would wind his dad up, and just did that. And then now a yeah. German fan. And when I, so I started supporting them. I think 91 was when I started following football. And then, which was a very good time to start supporting Manchester United. (laughs) To just have have one season where it's a bit disappointing. And then after that, it's like, I'm not a glory supporter. I'm a supporter of a 91. (laughs) Before before all of this. So is there any boyhood pictures of you in a Man United kit? There will be some. I had the blue and white away strip. I was a much bigger. This is just. It really sums me up to a T. I, I liked away strips more than I liked home strips. <laughs> always like. Always like the obscure stuff. Alternative. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, I never. Yeah. Uh, you know. Always you could have person. gone further
5: than like the goalie strips.
2: Yeah, I could have, but then you don't want to be the go- the kid in school who always isn't goal. That's no. just you've just resigned yourself to the fact that you're not that good at football. Well, the kid the kid in school who actually bought goalie gloves, like purchased them and bought them into school, that's like, oh, you have given up already. <laughs> uh, how have you already given up on this? Like, you, you still want to be involved. Obviously, and you know this is your ticket into it. Having the goalie gloves, but yeah it's very much Clay you're very much saying I'm at best a character actor rather than the lead yeah I know that this will guarantee my place in the team but uh, (laughs) no no one really wants me there but like I I was uh, so I had the blue and white mentioned mentioned on the trip with uh, Cole on the back Andy Cole's my favourite player Um, we all went and got uh, I think me my brother and sister and got the, the names on the back at Old Trafford yeah we had the day out and did the tour we went around the dressing rooms. Was it exciting? Yeah, I remember the guy... The only thing I remember about the tour of the dressing rooms and the, the stadium was uh, a story about the guy said, you know, if anyone's got a problem on the team, uh, Ferguson uh, gets them up and he'll like say, okay giggsy Giggsie's got a problem, and he'll tell the whole room the problem, and then everyone knows the problem, and then he just sits down. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true, is it? And that's what he told us at the time. I don't uh, that you retain that knowledge. Very yeah, specific. But, like... I retain that and also like what I, what, what I know looking back at myself now is that I like stories more than I like sports. So uh, that's why I retained that story. Yeah, it's just the only story probably told on the whole tour and I've retained that as a 32-year-old now. And like I stopped supporting Manchester United in the year 2000 uh, because the season before was the best story, the best real life true story yeah, I've yeah. ever followed in my life. Like there was so much in the narrative that was perfect. There was, you know, whatever it had been when Hansler said you don't win anything with kids, and then you had them winning the treble with kids. It was perfect. You had you know Solsha and Sheringham scoring in last minute. Sheringham had been taunted by everyone, you know, scoring the goals in the la- in, in both finals. Um, yeah. Cole had been seen as a waste of time for ages and then they got York in and the two of them were suddenly unstoppable and it was just like such a perfect narrative and all these different players as well it was like I really liked the Mighty Ducks films as kids and like really loved those movies and like I loved how everyone every single character had their moment in the Mighty Ducks they all had a, a part to play in the films and this season was like you know Everybody, everybody yeah Carol Paborski had a little bit where he did well and like and everybody yaps Stam and you know, David May who didn't really do anything for the whole season but when they won he was almost like the master of ceremonies uh, <laughs> with, with, with the crowd like, he got up and he put his fingers to his lips and the whole stadium went quiet and, and and each player took it in turns to lift the trophy and get a cheer and May was like conducting this and it's like now you're doing something you did fuck all season mate and like it was just like everybody had a moment where they 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 got to shine, yeah. and I just loved it so much. You know, obviously looking back, they were Manchester United. They weren't underdogs, and yet <laughs> for me it felt like you know it felt like that. And players and so who were normally on the bench, yeah, you know, huh? And so you quit. I quit. Well, the next season I was like, I love football so much. I I love football. I can't wait for this season. And then I remember, Ferguson bought a load of players, uh, and he just benched them. And I remember watching it and being like, oh, it's just. And then we realise, oh, he's just bought these players that everyone wanted so that everyone else can't have them. And now he's put them on the bench. And that's all these... Oh, this is rubbish. And I, I just kind of didn't like it. Also, there wasn't anything... It wasn't like, you know... What Mighty Ducks did well is that <laughs> is that every time they up the stakes. So it's like, first of all, they're just a team. And then it's like they're doing the World championship, So it's always they're out of yeah. their depth. And Manchester United, it's like you've won the treble and now you're just doing the same yeah. tournaments again. And I already know you can do it. There's no like, you know, you haven't been entered into the World Cup as like a wild card, you know, like uh, 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 you know, it's, it's just like you're either going to win them all again or the only way is down. I and are, also like, I yeah, mentioned everyone.
5: I asked Jack D. why he wasn't into football. Yeah. And he said, well, I was when I was a teenager. I just thought this is never going to end. Yeah. 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 Feeling. There'll be I mean, no
2: conclusion, but I felt like it had. So I was like. That's the perfect end to the film. Roll credits. Yeah, and it's like in. you can't follow it up. You, you can't do Terminator Two. Like, <laughs> An ex-girlfriend
3: of mine said, uh, "I'm so angry of you with football because like, like Sex in the City has ended, but football will never
2: end." Yeah, that's <laughs> like, it what it's like. Yeah. And it's, like, I, I was just like, no. Nah. They brought
5: football back for some disappointing movies. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: Also, I, I think I mean, obviously, for ages he was supposed to retire, Ferguson. But that year was like he was meant to retire. And he didn't. And I remember that being like, "What? <laughs> like, no, you've done it now. Retire. Get a new guy in who isn't good. Maybe Emilio Estevez. <laughs> <Ristavis, maybe. laughs> yeah, yeah. Give Estevez a call. Get him in. <laughs> Let us lose everything, and then I'll be into it again. Right?
5: Okay, there we are with another lockdown special. As always, we end with a Des Line and Poe, Chris. Uh, Let's have number 20. Number 20. It is You Cannot Hope by Humbert Wolfe. Robbie Slater, see you later.
1: You cannot hope to bribe or twist, thank God, the British journalist. But seeing what the man will do unbribed, there's no occasion to. This episode is brought to you by State Farm.